Welcome to At Ease, a podcast for colored girls who fled corporate when six figures wasn't enough. Whether you decided to quietly quit, took a leap of faith, pursued your passion over a paycheck, or are building a side hustle, join me each week as we redefine success by reshaping our minds. I combine my lived experience and conversations with entrepreneurs and Black women to leverage thought work, to reconnect with our bodies, combat burnout, and build businesses. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 13 of At Ease. Today's guest is Brandi Johnson. She is a personal style expert and body confidence coach, learning and development leader, speaker, writer, and the founder of Brandeis Nicole, a personal style and coaching firm. After earning degrees at Brown University and UC Berkeley, Brandy led a career as a learning and development leader and executive at a national consulting firm. She quickly earned a reputation for style along with program design and training and found herself coaching her colleagues on looking their best. Fast forward as an educator at heart, Brandy has styled over 1,000 clients, has presented to crowds varying from 2,500 attendees to roundtable group discussions, and is known for her transformational approach to style as a pathway to confidence and authentic self-development. She has been called style magic by numerous clients, and helps women of all shapes and sizes, especially women navigating changing bodies, find the joy that happens when they confidently step into who they are with an effortless wardrobe to match. Enjoy part one of our conversation. Hi, Brandy. Hi, Kristen. <laughs> hey, um, go yes, ahead yes. and introduce yourself. Tell us your name and what you do I am Brandy Johnson, and I run a personal styling firm called Brandeis Nicole. My mission and what I'm here to do uh, on this earth for, for at least right now or a good while is to help women release limiting beliefs about their body size and worth and to elevate their style in a way that uplifts them, spreads joy, and helps them to have a wardrobe that aligns with how they're evolving um, in all aspects of their life. So that is what I do. I offer one-on-one services. I have a group coaching program, all sorts of good stuff. I love that you say the piece around feeling good in your body. And I know that's how we connected. I saw you comment something about body neutrality. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my goodness, a black woman, body neutrality. Like, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> let me like, 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 hi, hi, hi. I was like, hey. Because I, I think I've seen you around too. And you were like, let, let me just slide into a DM. Like I saw you said body neutrality. I was like, I did. <laughs> yeah. And for what I do with, you know, women in leadership and even with building systems, people are like, what the heck does body neutrality have to do with any of that? But the reality is, at least for my journey and my experience, when... I was spending my days beating up on my body or really being at war (laughs) with Mm -hmm. my body. I could not focus on the things that I said I actually wanted. And so when I learned to, you know, look at 
my body and eventually life through a neutral lens, it was a complete game changer for me. So yeah, I, love it. <laughs> I think that there's um we vastly underestimate the amount of mental weight we carry around when it comes to our bodies and our style. And, you know, when you think about it, getting dressed is one of the few things we have to do every single day. I don't care how casual it is. I don't care how informal or if you've got, you know, a um, quote unquote nine to five, which, you know, for most of us, if, if you're uh, still living that corporate life is like a nine to seven or like a nine to nine. <laughs> um, but, you know, again, like no matter the setting, work, weekend, whatever, you got to get dressed even if it's loungers, yeah. like you got to get dressed. And so this thing that we do every single day, when that feels really hard and frustrating, and it feels like we don't have what we need, um, or it feels like a direct path to attack ourselves and be really mean to ourselves every morning. That's a lot. And I think we've learned to just pretend that we can compartmentalize that, you know, like we have all these like icky feelings in the morning and then we go on about our day, like it's separate. And it's like, no, the way that you started your day has a profound impact on the way that you go about your day. And it's cumulative. I mean, if you've been feeling some type of way for a long time, that's a really hard space to be in. Yeah. And even the piece you said around it being cumulative, I remember a couple years back, my family, we took family pictures, right? Mm -hmm. So my parents are all excited because they're grandparents now. And they're like, we need all three generations, <laughs> all, well, all my kids, all my grandkids and like the spouses in a picture. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was going through a divorce. Mm -hmm. So my then husband was not in the picture. And I mm -hmm. remember looking at that picture when we got them back and I hated it. I, I mean, I picked apart every single thing about my body, about how I looked in comparison, like to the rest of my family. And I was just feeling so down. And I remember my therapist saying to me, is this your comfort zone? You know, is this where your mind goes when you have other things going on? You consistently feel bad about your body or you consistently say negative things about your body and what your appearance is. She's like, is there actually anything wrong with your appearance in this picture? Or is it the fact that you're sad about the divorce? You're sad because your husband isn't in the picture and your comfort zone is to go back to picking yourself apart. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge aha moment for me. And, you know, once I took a step back and, like, was objective, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, looking at the picture, I'm like, she's right. Can you share what drove your decision to leave corporate? And how did you prepare? My dad was an entrepreneur, actually. He uh, was a tax preparer, CPA. And it never, ever, ever, ever occurred to me that I would ever be a business owner or have my own company. I, I always thought of myself as, as a company person. And, you know, I, I liked that, that biweekly check, um, you know, coming in and, you know, it was, it was interesting. You know, I think that, you know, there's, there's all ways to do this, right. I am 
and this is, you know, might not be, or, or might be like a, don't try this at home kids type of thing, but like I had zero plan, zero plan. So what I, you know, but again, I firmly believe that things, your steps get ordered, right? And there's like one stone that you can put your foot on and you might not be able to see the next stone, but like, you know, through faith, you know, it's like you just kind of keep stepping out and like that stone appears. And that really has been my business journey. So, you know, for some context, I was working in uh, education reform for a very long time. Um, I was a senior managing partner and and managing large product suites and and big teams and uh, national products and, and all that good stuff. And I was really, really, really burnt out, really burnt out. And so I took a step back and left that particular company I'd been with for nine years, which is like an eternity in today's landscape. Hmm. And I took a position at a graduate school of education and I was an associate professor of practice for a year. And then, you know, as, as luck or chance or, you know, provenance or whatever you want to call it would have it, the founder of this, um, graduate school was a new graduate school. It's like a serial entrepreneur. And so I kind of had like one foot out the door and he was really open to talking about that, you know, which is really cool. You know, it wasn't this kind of like, yeah. oh, you want to work here forever. And like, you know, are you, <laughs> are you putting in your time? You know, it was really like, okay, well, like, let, let's talk about what you want to do next. And so I was very fortunate um, to have some leeway. So I, I moved out of that role into special projects, um, which really for the first time, I would say in like 13 years, probably at that point, maybe 15 years of, of working, you know, since college, mm-hmm. I finally had the bandwidth to be like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Because corporate or any setting like that will keep you on this hamster wheel. I mean, there are studies about this where you're continuously in, in fight or flight. which means you actually don't have the brain capacity to spend time dreaming, scheming, planning, Mm -hmm. thinking, visioning, right? You're, you're literally um, in survival mode and that's not any fault of our own. That is the way that institutions operate. You know, there's a lot of false urgency. There's, you know, this feeling like, you know, you're the only one who can do this job, but you're also disposable. Don't get too comfortable. You know, it's like, there's just so much institutional trauma that that's happening. But at the end of the day, what it's really doing is keeping us very, very stuck and at times unable to even think of ourselves as, as capable of doing something else. And I know that's particularly true in my experience um, in talking to folks who've been in um, either education reform or nonprofit sectors. It's like, do I have transferable skills? You know? Mm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> you know, mean, meanwhile, I had been like um, getting really into styling. Uh, the, the long and short of it is I'd always been into style, not so much fashion. Like I wasn't a kid who like, you know, read Vogue or anything, but I love style came from a long line of, of black matriarchs who had like the, you know, the church hat and the shoes and the shawl, <laughs> and every, you know, the brooch, like everything. Right. And I had gained a significant amount of weight at one point while I was still working in my, um, you know, kind of corporate job. And um, it, it threw me, you know, and I, I did what I think a lot of us do is, you know, I, I blamed myself. I didn't know that's what I was doing, 
but I blamed myself for gaining the weight and the way that that translated because I punished myself by not investing in new clothes. So it was like, you're just going to get the, like, you know, bargain basement, whatever, just like look, quote unquote, appropriate at work, get by. But the idea of spending money on this body that I so desperately wanted to think was temporary was beyond me. And a full season went by. I was living in New York at the time. So there were like, you know, real seasons. And when the weather (laughs) started to warm up, I was like, you have a choice to make. You know, you can continue to just like, I mean, like my clothes were depressing me, you know, as someone who always liked style, it was like, okay, like which Merino V-neck sweater will we put with which houndstooth pants today? I mean, it was like a uniform. It was <laughs> not a fun uniform. Like it was awful. Yeah. And I, I finally chose myself and I said, this body at this size, we're going to figure this out. And I had to learn. I actually, this is, this was actually my first learning into fit. And that fit is different than style. Style is is how you express yourself. Style can and should change over time. It should be iterative. Fit is your body shape. It's your proportions. It's it's how clothes lay on your body in a way that's going to be flattering. And I had to relearn that. I mean, things were in different places. I, there was like a role here that wasn't there before. There were, you know, it was like, okay, yeah. this J Crew number two pencil skirt is really not like this is uncomfortable right? There's no stretch in this. So I really had to learn fit and fabrication and brands and all sorts of stuff. Fast forward a couple years, I had the opportunity to train with Stacey London from TV's What Not to Wear, um, that kind of iconic show, and I got mm-hmm. selected to join her team. So I was still working my nine to five slash nine to nine um, <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> but by the time I got to that wow. professor gig and then the special projects, like I had room to be like, is this a job? Like, do people, you know, like, is this, and I just, I was taking, I I had clients, you know, and, you know, very much in side hustle mentality. And I remember one client of mine um, who um, is really great and she had started her own business. She was a lawyer, corporate lawyer. And so that special projects contract was coming to a close. I actually applied to and got a couple positions back in corporate, but more like in fashion. Um, So some like large subscription box companies you might've heard of, ultimately turned them down. Like the money wasn't what I wanted to be making. I still was living in New York. I was like, "Mm, this doesn't, the math isn't mathing. And I was like, well, what if I just did it? Like what if I just started my own business? Like literally like April 1st, I didn't even have a personal laptop. I hadn't had a personal laptop in like 10 years, 15, like, I don't even know. So yeah, there was no business plan. There, there was no P&L sheet. You as, as, a, as an ops guru would be like, oh, just pearl clutching. But, um, <laughs> I think, you know, to your original question was like the decision to leave. I think it was just time. Like it was time to explore happiness and joy and and like I loved working with my clients so much and I loved the challenge of finding things individual to them that just changed I mean literally changed their world you know like to have a mom of three be like the easiest part of my day now is getting dressed is like whoa because ain't nothing easy about having three kids right so yeah that's that's how I got here it's been 10 years which is crazy Woo. <laughs> okay. You said a lot. Mm-hmm. You said so much, so much good <laughs> stuff. So 
even going back to the piece around like your skills, like questioning if you had transferable skills. Yeah. Um, Cause I definitely experienced that too in government mm-hmm. and it took someone else similarly to tell me like, yeah, girl, people need this <laughs> in the, in the private sector, in the real world. And to your point around like, this is what institutions do. Right. They, we, we stay on this hamster wheel and it's like, if you look to the side, you're going to fall off, you know, if you look left, if you look right, if you start to daydream and yeah, I, um, one of the things Brandy that I really like about, um, your story is because, I mean, you're brilliant, like you're super smart and I think we have like, you know, you have the roadmap of when you get these degrees, this is what you're supposed to do with them. These are the types of roles or like organizations that you're supposed to be in. And look, brilliance can show up a lot of different places and you are proving that. I'm also having like a fangirl moment because I definitely used to watch What Not to Wear with my mom. Yeah. I want to say the show started like around the time, I think I was like a senior or senior in high school or like freshman in college. Mm -hmm. And so when I say watch it, I'm like using air quotes because I wasn't in proximity with my mom to like watch it. But it was like one of those things like, girl, did you see, (laughs) you know, did you see so-and-so's closet? Did you see this makeover? I would have done this or I would have done that or I love that Mm -hmm. cut, you know? So, um, wow. (laughs) I have to tell my mom. (laughs) (laughs) I have to tell my mom that I interviewed somebody who worked on, you know, who worked with Stacey London. That's super cool. And yeah, I don't have three kids, knock on wood. I have two, but (laughs) (laughs) yes, you know, getting dressed and even just the things you said around like your body changing. I know that is absolutely something I have struggled with. And when Mm -hmm. it comes to style, I had a very distinct, I think, style at one point in life. And then (sighs) I think for me, you know, kind of like you said, you bought like the, your body changed and you brought like the work appropriate things, like the bare mm-hmm. minimum for work. And I remember being in the workplace and people telling me like I was too much, like you mm-hmm. cannot come in here in that bright dress and natural hair. And you want to wear like slightly higher than normal heels. Like it's too much. You have to tone it down. And so I think even just like hearing that over the years started to chip at some of, I don't know if it was like my confidence or I should say my confidence in my style, if that makes sense. And then you have mm-hmm. kids and your body changed, like you say, it's roles that wasn't there before, mm-hmm. you're shaped different and society or like diet culture would have us believing like this is temporary, right? Right. Like this is temporary, just change your body or, uh, you know, snap back, (laughs) snap back. And Mm -hmm. you put yourself through really misery with how you showed up in, you know, not, not being willing to invest in like your wardrobe. And 
there's the other side of people who put themselves through misery, or at least this, this is my experience of like, how many times am I going to eat this bland chicken breast and broccoli mm-hmm. trying to fit back into who I was pre-kids or pre, you know, whatever. And so just like you said, style should be iterative. Well, why can't other things be as well? Building a wardrobe that complements my body versus trying to morph my body (laughs) into fitting clothes that have been deemed acceptable. I'm also not cringing at the fact that you had no plan. I think that's like super common. You know, you take that first step and you can't see the next step. That's trust. And that's like a muscle that we all have to build. You got to be able to trust yourself and like how to navigate because no matter how much money you have saved in the bank, nobody can predict a pandemic. (laughs) Nobody knows when, you know, we don't know X number of years from now how many recessions we're going to have or how bad they're going to be, you know, there's just, there's things that you can't plan for. And so I love that, you know, you gave that visual of like the next step will appear. Um, It reminds me of, I saw this clip on Instagram and they were talking about um, the Billie Jean video, Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. And how, when he's taking the, that walk and the, the um, sidewalk lights up, how it was already like pre-programmed and the director was just like, just follow my directions, like, trust me. And it'll look like you're lighting it up. And that's how like, I imagine Mm -hmm. like you had to trust in order for that next step to light up for you. And now like one step at a time, at a time, you've made it to 10 years in business, which is no small feat. Yeah. So um, congratulations on that. (laughs) Thank you. It's a, yeah, it'll be actually 11 this year. It's like wild to me. And I think too, it's worth noting there's no martyrdom or, or honor, false honor in entrepreneurship being the only path. Right. So I have worked this business as a side hustle, a full-time job as, you know, I've gone back into corporate and had it be a side hustle again, you know, so I think you really just have to figure out what season you're in and what you need. And, you know, I think that sometimes there's a lot of noise around it feeling like once you leave, you've made it, you know, like Mm -hmm. you're on the other side of the rainbow in entrepreneur land where everything is, I I don't know, you know, we have, feelings about that. And I just want to say for anyone out there who is um, struggling in their business and, and, you know, considering a different path, just know nothing's permanent, right? This is not about quitting. This is not about, I'm a quitter. You know what I mean? Like we don't need to have these um, identities if we, if if they don't resonate. So I think that's worth um, just noting the other thing I wanted to say that that snapback culture, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> I, I, I talk a lot about how as a society, specifically an American capitalist society, we are obsessed with the notion of going forward, right? Goals, records, you know, you didn't have your, your abs shredded by tiny people, <laughs> you know, but it's just this notion, right. That like backwards is better. And so we, we spend 
and diet culture makes us spend so much time and energy trying to get back. And I think the more that we can start to challenge that, and if you really are honest with yourself, you're better now. You're better now. What you know, what you've gained, what you understand to be true, how you love, who you love, right? I mean, like there's so many facets and ways in which we are better now. And so it's really this mindset work of getting the way that we think about our bodies and understanding that yes, bodies are also meant to change and evolve, which does sometimes mean get bigger and that's okay. Challenging this notion of always going backwards is hard, but I think it's really, really crucial. Mm. Ooh, Brandy, you just said something. That is so <laughs> true. That is so true. And I'm, I, as you're talking, I'm playing back in my head, just things that I've heard over the years, things that I've said to myself and, you know, the fact that I also at one point was a health coach and fitness instructor. I mean, I've heard a lot of women talk about their bodies, right? And yeah. I'm even just something that just came up was a conversation of, you know, I heard someone say, I have to lose this weight. This is the biggest I've ever been. And I was like, this is also the oldest you've ever been. It's the mm -hmm. happiest you've ever been. This is also the, for this person in particular, is the most you've ever had like a regular practice of movement. And how can you like have all these wonderful things going on and yet you're still holding on to this body or this image that you had 10 years ago? Yeah. You know, and I remember I didn't appreciate it at the time. My cheerleading coach in high school, she said to us that we were like obsessed with the idea of being young and cute. <laughs> and she was like, you're going to see one day. You gonna learn to love your grown woman body. And I remember looking at her like, what, Jennifer? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> and she was like, my husband loves my grown woman body. And she, I mean, she, at the time I was in high school, but she was in her, in her thirties and mm -hmm. she's right. <laughs> you know, the, your body tells your story, tells a story, just like your business tells a story and it's not good or bad. It just is. It's the journey that you've been on. I mean, even when you think about anti-aging, aging oh. backwards, you know, mm -hmm. there is a piece around holding on and it's like holding on so tightly. I emailed my um, newsletter out to my, my, my community this past week. And I was like, you know, it, this, this notion of, you know, basically it's like, you're never small enough. You're never young enough. Right. But then it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think for a lot of us, we're at a certain age and stage in life where it's like, that's not true. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love this stage of life and I love, you know, what I've learned and, you know, all those things. And, you know, when we think about diet culture and this pursuit of smallness, really at all costs, you know, like you said, the, the bland chicken and broccoli, I mean, it's like, what won't we do um, mm -hmm. to, to get back to smaller bodies and, you know, I just, I, I was like, you know, typing, I get really like impassioned, you know, and I'm like typing this thing. And I was like, I just think that we are 
delusional. We're delusional if we think that a focus on being smaller, being in a smaller body isn't making us shrink in other ways. Like it, yeah. you just can't have one without the other. So if we're constantly trying to get smaller and smaller and smaller, we may think it's just our body size, but it's like, where else is that showing up? Where else is that showing up for you in your life that you're just trying to smallen yourself into the background? Um, yeah. This whole notion might have like, take up space. And it's like, yeah. We Except want in your body. <laughs> Except right? with your body. <laughs> Except with your body. Please don't do it with your body. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, and I think just, you know, so much of that, you know, just ingrained that phobia and especially for black women, especially, I mean, it, it's pervasive, right? It's, it's everywhere, but I do think that there's something in particular about being black and fat that mm -hmm. just triggers, it just triggers people. It triggers us as black women. I, I always say the way that we do one thing is the way we do everything. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so to that piece around shrinking and this came up for me when I was I, I shared with you that I had gone through a coaching program around you know body neutrality body wisdom intuitive eating all of that while I was in the course one of the books that we had to read was fearing the black body by Sabrina Strings that mm -hmm. was amazing because it talks about really the roots of the obesity epidemic. And it all started with race. <laughs> and so, you know, diet culture, wellness culture at the end of the day is actually rooted in, it has racist roots. It's not mm -hmm. about health. It's not about actually being well. It's about another way of marginalizing a group of people. That was one book that was really eye-opening, um, particularly because my background um, in federal government, I do something called classification. So I classify positions based on the type of position, the, the type of work that you do, the grade, pay. There's all these different categories, but the book is rooted in like the first classification system that we had not just in this country, but in this world, and that it was based on race and just all the different ways that we have been classified over the years for the purpose of marginalization. And another one is called Shifting the Double Lives of Black Women. And I remember, so the book is broken down into like different areas of our lives, beauty, career, the church, relationships, and I remember reading it and saying, well, we could also say shifting as shrinking. Mm. We're shrinking our bodies to be acceptable. We shrink our voices to be acceptable. I mean, even when you talk about our body and our hair, like natural hair, like being comfortable with wearing your hair as is, is still in some cases a revolutionary act. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, how we shrink ourselves in relationships. It, 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 to your point, I'm, I, I 100% agree with you. We can't just do it in one place. We're not wired that way. We can't compartmentalize in that way. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you like what you hear, 
please leave me a five-star review and share with a friend. I hope to see you back here next week for another episode. And until then, at ease.